It's time for the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. Oh, indeed. I'm glad you connected. This is Dave Johnson, voice of the Washington Wizards. You have connected to the right place because you are listening to my man, Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Josh. If you don't know me, it is the Kirby on Sports Podcast, the 161st edition of the Kirby on Sports Podcast. As always, a big thanks to our sponsors, PM Plus Reserves, Shenandoah Primitives, Dr. Dave Leadership Corporation, Mark Francis with Icon Real Estate, and Barrett's Pest and Termite Services. Without the support of our sponsors, the Kirby on Sports podcast would not be where it is today. The show is going to be a little bit different as I am riding solo since Dan and Carlos are unfortunately busy and unable to be on this week's episode. As always, all the best to the rest of our team in Dan and Carlos, and we hope to see them on again really soon. There will be one deep dive I will talk about. It will be the Bills and the Dolphins, and then we'll have a special guest Big Doug from the Big Douglas Show talking about the Washington Commanders matchup and a few other matchups from around the league as well. And as always, wrapping things up with the Hurry Up Offense sponsored to you each and every week by Barrett's Pest and Termite Services. It's going to be a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. The Kirby on Sports Podcast, it all comes your way next. Man, I'll tell you one thing. It's been quite some time since I've done a solo episode. Um, I'm usually more comfortable with talking with somebody about sports. And I'll be completely honest with you. I've been blessed with a great co-hosts and um, Dan and Carlos. So doing a solo show is something I haven't done in a really long time. So I, I'm just throwing it out there. The fact is that sometimes just doing a solo show is really different because you're just talking to your audience and you don't have anybody to bounce back and forth and have that genuine conversation. If you get what I'm saying there, but it's interesting. It's unique. It's different. I sort of had to train myself before I came on here on how to do a solo podcast, but it's doable. It's just me talking into a mic and all my loyal fans, followers, and listeners. Um, 
are able to follow along, listen, and hopefully I provide good feedback because it's only my opinion today. And to get things started here on the Kirby on Sports podcast, um, well, I'm doing only one deep dive, and it's the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Credit to Carlos, the Swiss Army Knife. Yes, he was the one that pointed out that this game would be the game to look out for. I I said the Thursday night matchup, the uh, Browns and the Steelers. I didn't say that was going to be be the marquee matchup, but I said that's a matchup I'm interested to see because two medium serviceable quarterbacks in the league and they it went neck and neck down to the wire there. It was a very close game. The Browns come away with the win, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Carlos hit the nail on the head with this game, and that's why I wanted to take the deep dive out of the Dolphins-Bills matchup. As the Dolphins improved to 3-0, and defeating the Buffalo Bills 21 to 19. And th- there was a lot out of this matchup that we can unpack here. I mean, d- just looking at the Bills, I feel like they played a very complete game. Um, their offense, Josh Allen threw uh four for 400 yards in this game and two touchdowns. Um, obviously he spread the ball out to so many people in that game. From what I saw, Devin Singletary, 78 yards, Isaiah McKenzie, 76 yards, Stefan Diggs, 74 yards, Singletary and Isaiah McKenzie, both with receiving touchdowns. So the attack from the bills was more in the air, not really on the ground. Josh Allen did have 47 yards rushing on um, eight scrambles, but I think that's going to be attributed to the fact that the Bills' offensive line was a little bit shaky. And I'm going to classify it as a little bit shaky because there were times that Josh Allen got sacked. A key in this game um, five sixteen in the first quarter. Josh Allen fumbles. Miami brings pressure, and they force a fumble on Josh Allen, and they recover. Um, inside the Bills' ten, so they have great field position. And Edmonds for the Dolphins, uh, comes in and punches it in. Uh, one out of the two touchdowns that Edmonds had in this football game. So you look and you see that first mistake there. 5-16 left in the first with that forced fumble Miami made by bringing a lot of pressure. And I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to bash the Bills by saying their offensive line is terrible in this game because they really weren't. They were just a little bit shaky. I think that had something to do with injuries. I'm not 100% sure, but I will say With the shakiness of the O-line, Josh Allen had 47 yards because he knows how to get outside of the pocket. And he scrambled with the football pretty well in those situations. So that really helped the Bills a lot because I saw maybe three or four times, maybe five times in that game while I was watching where Allen was pressured and he had to move outside of the pocket. So that's really good. I really liked Josh Allen's versatility. He threw the ball really well. 
and he ran with the ball when needed because the running running attack was not there besides Josh Allen and uh, Zach Moss for the um, Bills as well as he ran for a huge 49-yard run towards the end of the game. Um, and unfortunately, they could not convert off of that because of a missed field goal. So that was towards the end of the game, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So um, it, continuing with the Bills, um, the Bills had a couple key fourth down conversions that kept drives alive and um, ended up in scoring opportunities. So this Bills team had a lot of positives, not a lot of negatives, but the missed field goal towards the end of the game that we'll get to in a little bit was yeah, another key that I will touch on here in a little bit. But the big storyline out of Miami, first and foremost, 2-0, and they have the Bills because the, the Bills are heavy favorites this year still. We're still early, but the Bills are heavy favorites to make it deep into the postseason. A lot of people are projecting Super Bowl, which – I'm projecting Super Bowl still, even though they lost. Miami is a good football team this year, and they could possibly make it into the wild card. So that was the first big storyline. How are the Dolphins going to handle the Bills? Which the score indicates that they did just fine. But um, towards the midway point of the first half, uh, Tua had kind of an injury. Um, there was a late pressure that caused a flag, and Tua's head bounced up off the ground, and he seemed really, really woozy. I'm not calling myself a medical expert or anything of that nature, but by the way, he stood up and walked and then immediately stumbled around and got, like, he seemed like he was out of it, maybe knocked out for a second. It looked like he was concussed. So obviously Teddy Bridgewater comes in for the Miami Dolphins and takes over. Then after halftime, Tua comes back out. So when this game's all said and done, the NFLPA announces that they're going to have a report on what happened in this game and whether the Miami Dolphins followed concussion protocol. Because if not, then there could be some fines rolling around. And there's a chance come this Thursday night, he might not get to play because of that concussion protocol. And I'm not sure about the rules 100%. I'm just thinking the best scenario would potentially be that, I mean, they don't find anything. That, that would be the Dolphins' best case. But based on what I saw in the game, um, if, if Tua actually was concussed and the Dolphins let him come back or something, I, I'm not going to speculate here, but there could be a lot of serious consequences here because you see Tua and you see how shaken up he was and to see him come back. I was confused. I know a lot of people were confused. I know Dan and Carlos were like, wow, Tua is actually back. And he either cleared protocol and was fine, or I mean, I'm not sure, but if the NFLPA finds something with that investigation that protocol was broken, I feel like there could be some very heavy consequences. And the Dolphins play Cincinnati this upcoming Thursday night. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out for the Miami Dolphins in Tua. So moving on from that stance, the Miami Dolphins gameplay, Tua Tugavailoa, he abused two targets, one in particular, and then a secondary target. He abused Jalen Waddle. Yeah, because he he was out here. He had 102 receiving yards. Um, looked pretty pretty great out there. Unfortunately, he did not get in for a touchdown. Tyreek had some good targets as well, but Jalen Waddle was getting those chunk yardage off those throws. And Tyreek Hill had two receptions, 33 yards. River Craycraft um had the touchdown as well, but. On the ground for the Dolphins, um, it was Chase Edmonds with um, 21 yards on six attempts, two touchdowns. So they used the running attack in the short game situation, um, and it, it, it was good to see. It was really, really good to see here because, um, because the Dolphins seemed to be like, on full full cylinders, if you know what I mean. Offense, offensively running and passing the football. But Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, they're great weapons. They're great assets for Tua. 110%. And I feel like if, uh, depending on what happens with this concussion thing, uh, whenever Tua is 100% healthy again, yeah, I, I feel like he can use these targets week in and week out in Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Obviously, Tyreek Hill coming from Kansas City. So just evaluating this game and seeing Waddle and Hill, that was huge because Waddle with those big chunk yardage on those catches were great. Chase Edmonds came in big in short yardage goal line situations for those touchdowns as well. Obviously, you have Melvin Ingram. He played really well. Um, Holland with the forced fumble and uh, Ingram with the recovery as well. So defensively for the Dolphins, once again, they pressured Josh Allen to get out of the pocket and um, scrambled away and at times brought him down for some sacks. So that was good to see off their defense as well. But um, getting back to the Bills, uh, going back to what I said about Zach Moss, he had a 49-yard um, run towards the end of the game. And unfortunately, the Bills could not convert off of a missed field goal. And then later on in the game, they have another big drive, the Bills do. I think it was like seven, eight plays killing maybe seven to eight minutes off the clock. I don't know the exact number, but it was a pretty long drive. And the Dolphins' defense comes up huge with a third down stand and a fourth down goal line stand. I think one of the defenders swatted or got a tip on Josh Allen's pass and threw it short of his uh, receiver who was standing in the end zone, like the front corner of the end zone there. So... The Dolphins um, at the time, it was 21 to 17. And this is where things get a little bit tricky because you have the Dolphins leading the Bills 21 to 17. 
and the Dolphins have to punt out of their own end zone. And um, this, is, this is where it gets very, very interesting. The punter for the Dolphins comes out. I tell you, I tell you, this was really, really funny. Thomas Morstead. And they threw out the stat that um, this was his first time getting blocked the, um, in quite some time. There was some crazy stat I forgot to jot down. But it was his own blocker in front of him. He punted it, and it went off the blocker's rear end and up and out of their end zone for a safety. So it's 21 to 19 at that point. And we all know what what's going to happen next. Obviously, Mark Sanchez chimes in, and he's like, hey, do not use my play. You know, the butt fumble and the butt block, the butt punt block, whatever you want to call it. So immediately the memes start coming out about how it was blocked off the blocker's rear end. I thought it was hilarious, and I immediately thought of Mark Sanchez after that. Because <laughs> I just can't. It's funny. <laughs> it's too funny there. I, I'm sorry. It's way too funny. It just got blocked off the defender's rear end. So the Bills have one more chance to drive down, try to win the game. And uh, the Dolphins' D comes up big. And... Uh, comes up big and they just held on to win what an electric fan base for the Dolphins so far yeah I mean this Dolphins team has a lot in front of them they're one of the undefeated teams in the NFL so it's very it was a very competitive game this game sort of proved in my mind that the Dolphins are very much a different football team this year and what about Mike McDaniel the Dolphins head football coach, his first three wins against pretty top-tier NFL um, head coaches in Bill Belichick, who is no stranger to going to a Super Bowl. You have John Harbaugh, a Super Bowl-winning head coach, and Sh Sean McDermott. Three pretty top head coaches that Mike McDaniel has faced, and Dolphins fans from Everybody I know that's a Dolphins fan, they they love Mike Mc, uh, McDaniel over the moon, over the moon. Former um, 49ers um, coordinator coming to Miami, obviously, and they're over the moon about um, McDaniel. So hats off to the Dolphins, hats off to the uh, Bills. It, I, I mean, it was just a very competitive game as the Dolphins defeat the Bills 21 to 19. And obviously, I'm going to be looking into that situation if anything comes out of that investigation. That protocol might have not been handled a hundred percent for the Dolphins and Tua. But hopefully, besides the point, hopefully Tua is getting back to a hundred percent, if not at a hundred percent already again the dolphins 21 the bills 19 we're gonna take a break and when we come back my interview 
with Big Doug of the Big Douglas Show. That is coming up next on the Kirby on Sports Podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. For sports fans living in condominium and homeowners associations, as well as business professionals, when you need a reserve study, PM Plus Reserves has been in business since 1990. Their studies are accurate and easy to understand. Check them out when your association needs a study, www.pmplusreserves.com. You can also contact them at 703-803-8436. Once again, www.pmplusreserves.com. Is it finally time to upgrade your home's interior? How about with an authentic farm table made locally from recycled barn wood? Shenandoah Primitives, based right here in Winchester, Virginia, makes farm tables, benches, tables, coffee tables, and a long list of other items for your home decorating needs. At Shenandoah Primitives, function and style are combined for great furniture that will last generations. If you're interested in combining the industrial look of metal with wood or considering something incredibly unique with a live edge, Shenandoah Primitives turns those ideas into reality. Thinking about a mirror, wine rack, or other accent piece for your home, Shenandoah Primitives can assist with that as well. As a local small business, Shenandoah Primitives is happy to work with each client for a custom design or schedule an appointment to come out and view current inventory. Local high-quality handmade items can be found at Shenandoah Primitives. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or visit us at www.shenandoahprimitives.com. Once again, that's www.shenandoahprimitives.com. All right, welcome back to the Kirby on Sports podcast. Um, a little bit different here today, but we're bringing you a very special guest, a uh, pretty good connection of mine as well. He runs the Big Douglas Show. You can find him on Twitter at the Big Douglas Show, and he produces a lot of great content and has a just so many unique and interesting guests on his show my man doug mccray what's up doug how are you hey my brother how you doing i'm doing well i i, I can't complain i appreciate you hopping on with us for a little bit of uh time today here on the podcast um so uh, how is everything for you down there um how's your um season going of podcasting because i know uh this time of year you have a pretty heavy slate of uh, things in analytics you try to follow with your podcast. First off, Kirby, I want to know how many buckets can you make in a row on that little basket behind you? <laughs> We're talking about 10, 15. I mean, how many, how many can we get in a row there? I got to know. Probably about 20, I'd say. All right. 20 seems pretty good. Uh, no, listen, if we're back into football, it's great to, well, it's supposed to be great to have some actual stuff on the field to talk about the, the off season, as you know, creating content is something that we do for fun, but it becomes harder to do in those, you know, dry, desolate months with not much going on. So exciting to be back. You know, we, uh, we recap the games on Monday. 
Uh, we look at we look at the opposition on Wednesday, which I, which I think is cooler. And uh, you know, on Friday we get somebody on the beat to come and tell us what's really going down. So, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and um, excited that uh, maybe this week provides an opportunity to get back on track. I'll tell you one thing that's really unique about your show because you cover uh, Washington sports and the commanders in football, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, but opposition. You find a beat reporter from the opposing team to talk about that team. I think that's something that's very unique that I don't really see a lot of other people do in terms of beat reporter and in terms of fan podcasters that's different but beat reporters that's what i find really unique doug well i appreciate it and that's what we went for and i and i know that there are a lot of guys that do you know the opposition podcaster and and that's cool you know when i decided to do this podcast i guess three years ago my brother and i would chat on the phone on his way to work every day about sports and it, and nobody had anything to do, you know, it was right around the pandemic. And so he said, just do a podcast, man. What would it look like? And this is what it looked like. And, and you know why I got the opposition Wednesday is because guys like Al Galdi and Kevin Sheehan did it first. And I always wanted my podcast to be more like, I didn't know how to get onto the radio. So I'll do a radio version of the podcast. Yeah, does that make sense? So yeah, that's what we went for. I find it fascinating. I don't know if anybody else likes the opposition Wednesday, but how can you figure out about the other team until you talk to somebody that follows it closely, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Doug, let me tell you, uh, let me ask you, out of um, all the guests you have had on so far in your historic podcasting career, what's your most favorite guest? This is great because I ask people this all the time, right? So that's it's always interesting to go from being the host to being the guy getting interviewed. I love it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think maybe, and listen, the the get we've we've been blessed, right? I mean, Tom Pelissero, Steve Weiss, David Aldridge, you know, pretty much everybody that covers the beat for uh the commanders now really been blessed but you know i had started out the very first year of the podcast i thought maybe on mondays i'd reach out to famous at the time redskins fans and we do it that way and the first one i found was big poo you know and it, we just stumbled into a friendship that you know we did so many shows together that first year when it was covid and it was you know we did a comedians and 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 rock musicians and rappers and, and and basketball and football and man we just had a blast and along the the way we met chris baker and you know chris comes on every monday now and he's been a great friend and so as much as some of the big names that we've come through it, those two guys really you know are, are something in my life which i would never have happened without the podcast yeah i mean yeah the addition of Big Pooh and uh, is Chris Baker, former Washington football player. I mean, that probably adds a, a just a unique side to the podcast that you might not get on any other podcasts. You and I can talk football till we're blue in the face, and we do. But Chris was out there. You know, he he was in NFL locker rooms. He he has the credentials to be able to really back up what we're talking about. And it just gives a different flair, if you will, 
to the show because he's been there, done that, you know, and, and it's really been fascinating to get his opinion on these things. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Doug, I mean, obviously we can't, we just can't not discuss this. Um, I mean, the commanders falling to the Eagles. I, I mean, this wasn't one of the big games I covered in the um, deep dives earlier in the show, but um, I do want to sort of get your thoughts so far on the Washington commanders, obviously falling to NFC East division rival Philadelphia 24 to eight. It just did not look like a good offensive performance with the offensive line seeming to not protect Carson Wentz, uh, like a league record sack amount of sacks for the Eagles. The defense did look exceptionally better than they did last week about it against Detroit from what I saw. But I mean, it only eight points. This just, this just looked like misery for the commanders. Well, it was misery for me on the couch. I know that. So, uh, listen, I like 90% of the talent on the roster, I think, is NFL worthy. I think Ron has come in and done a good job of flipping the script on an organization that was, you know, deep underwater and had, and had nowhere, no life rafts around. So I get that. And to get Ron, you had to give him complete control of the franchise as far as player personnel goes. There's only one other guy in the league that gets that. It's Bill Belichick. I never thought that this coach and GM, you know, being the same person. I didn't think it worked before Ron got here. I'm not sold that it works now. I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve on offense. I did in the first half of the Jacksonville game. The offense in the first half of the Jacksonville game was everything we thought this offense would be, everything they told us it was going to be. Tons of motion, tons of screens, tons of quick passes, all leading up to big shots down the field. That's that's not what's happened through the last two and a half games. I'm, I'm not sure why. It worked. Uh, against Philly. Philly is a better team than us. They went out in the offseason and added at least three blue-chip players. For some reason, this organization didn't think it was necessary. Who makes that decision? Yeah. So I, I'm confused uh, more than anything about what we're trying to do here because there should be enough talent on offense. Like that first game, tons of passes to Antonio Gibson. How many receptions, how many targets did Antonio Gibson get? I don't have him from me, but I bet you it's like three. One. One, okay, yeah. Terry McLaurin didn't get a target until the third quarter. Yeah, I, that that amazes me too. Terry just not getting a target till the third quarter. It seems like now that Curtis Samuel is healthy, they're using him a lot more, which I'm uh, I'm not really understanding why they wouldn't use Terry just as much. Well, again, they put those guys on motion, jet sweeps in the first game, got him into action, got Terry into the slot and let him operate a little bit. Uh, I understand why they go to Sammy quite a bit because, listen, when he's healthy, he's a blue-chip player, and he should be. Game plan, it took it, – it, I am a huge Scott Turner fan. Uh, anybody that knows me, follows me, knows that. But my confidence level, you know, it's taken a dive. You know what I'm saying? It's very low now. It just takes him too long to get it together and, and pivot. 
I mean, and I don't understand why. I'd love to hear him explain it. I, I'd love to hear Ron say why he hadn't taken any ownership of the problems for the team and continues to say it's on the players, but won't name the players because they don't want to go down that route again. Yeah. Um, lo- looking rushing wise, um, combined team uh, rushing yards, 87, Antonio Gibson with 38 yards and a uh, late touchdown, Carson Wentz with 22 yards on the ground. So they weren't really utilizing the running game. I did see Gibson. He had a couple nice runs. What? Why do you think that? They didn't stick with the run game here. Again, great question that that the, that the coaching staff should answer, it and they won't. Like you know how you, you know how you get by and, and get them off of those heavy rushes, run the ball, screen passes. That, I mean, that's how you affect a, a pass rush that is being effective. Screening them to death, short angle routes, Texas yeah. route for the running back. Yeah, uh, they came out in the third quarter. And ran, and the first play of the, of the third quarter was a run play for eleven yards. They ran it twice after that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, Aaron needs to explain it. it if it's helpful. effective, why don't you continue to use it? That that's that does not make sense to me. <laughs> it, it's egregious. Yeah, but this whole game, I mean, get, going back to. Um, the field goal that put points up on the board for the commanders. And there was a penalty that they could have drove down and scored and they didn't stuff like that, that it just, I lost brain cells sitting on the couch as a being a commander's fan. But I mean, covering sports in general, this, the, I mean, offensively, something's got to change for this commander's team. Well, like you said, we don't really know what exactly because the coordinators aren't coming out and saying it. But defensively in this game, the defense looked a little bit better than last week against Detroit. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And real quick, Kirby, just to finish up on the offense, the other thing doesn't get talked about nearly enough is the center goes out and you don't have a natural backup center. So you have to slide Schweitzer over to center which is fine. He's capable, not a great game, but now you have two backups playing, right? Because Trey Turner wasn't going to be the starter at right guard. Schweitzer was going to be the starter. So because you don't have a natural center and you have to force your starting guard over to center, you're essentially now playing two backups on the line when really all you needed to do was play one backup, the center. Yeah. So that that's part of why that line probably didn't look great um on Sunday to your point moving on about the defense I think Cam Curl you know made a huge addition there I've always been a fan of James Smith Williams it was noticeable that when he went out it got better the coaching staff and 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 I know you talked about this a ton everybody that follows and covers this team talks about it it took William Jackson third getting hurt to move St. Juice outside where he belongs. I've always said this. He's a boundary corner. He needs the boundary line to help him. It's like an extra defender there. He's a tall, lanky guy. They allowed him to play press man and get up on the line and do what he does best. Now all he has to do is follow the defender. You don't have to worry about the zone and which way it's going. Mm-hmm. That should have always been the plan. And it should have always been how they use William Jackson the third. 
but it takes injuries and forcing the coaching staff to put people in the right position. And that's frustrating. Absolutely. But uh, looking at this Philadelphia team, seeing how they were playing, even though the commander's team didn't really do much to affect them in this game. Uh, this might be a good picture of how the NFC East might be shaping up in terms of division standings. The Eagles are undefeated right now. And um, the Cowboys are doing decent with Cooper Rush. Maybe Dak Prescott comes back in a couple of weeks. We don't know their differentiating reports with that. But still, I mean, this game could be a telltale sign that the Eagles could make that jump to first place and win the division this year. Well, give credit to Howie Roseman, right? They could have set Pat like the commanders did. No, he traded back in the draft, picked up an extra first, used the extra first that he got to get A.J. Brown. They've got two first-round picks now next year. They added uh, the safety. They added Bradbury. I mean, they really went for it this year, and it shows because they already had a good nucleus in there. Second year in a row that Jalen Hurts, for the first time since he was with Nick Saban in Alabama, has the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. You yeah. can tell. That's huge. The coaching – look, we got out coached on Sunday. I, I think that's easy to say. So give them a, a credit for putting that coaching staff together. Yeah. I'd take either one of those coordinators as the head coach here tomorrow. Really? Wow. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So, are you, so let me ask you this. Do you think at any point through this season, could there be a chance if the commanders do not improve, Ron Rivera might be out the door midway through the season or at some point before the end of the season? Do you think that could be a possibility? No. I mean, no. think about this. He's the boss. He'd have to fire himself. Dan's on a yacht out in France somewhere, you know, <laughs> and you think Tanya Snyder in the midst of all the turmoil is going to fire one of the most respected men in football. Yeah. Right. They'd have to like not lose They'd have to yeah. not win another game. And even then Snyder would have to do it. Ron, Ron's not going to fire himself. Maybe a coordinator gets fired. You know, maybe Jack gets fired in, in week 11 if they're not doing well, but I doubt that. That's not how Ron works. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be status quo as it was. Yeah, because I, I'm hearing a lot of stuff over fandom Twitter uh, for the commanders, like, oh, Ron's on the hot seat, definitely, and stuff. So, uh, I mean, to me, Ron, you said this earlier, I believe. Ron is developing a better culture in Washington. That's for sure. sure. Yeah. He, the man battled cancer and led this team to a division title and and obviously uh, losing to Tampa Bay. But still, besides the point, the amount of adversity that Ron Rivera has gone through with this team. No doubt. I feel like slowly but surely something's got to give and this team gets over the hump. But we don't know when. And just looking at this performance, it seems like uh, I, uh, I'm going to die. I, I, I'm going to die as a Commanders fan without ever seeing them win the Super Bowl. Like stuff like that comes up, you know? They're, uh, they're one and two. Could have been two and one, I think. When, I, when we do these uh, 
record predictions for the season. I, I always just always go give each give every team in the division their home game. Now, the problem is Dan Snyder is so awful in the way he has cared for this franchise that it led to a hot Philly team taking over the stadium. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there. We, we, obviously, we were listening to it, watching it on TV. And when they would get sex, it felt like we were in Philly. Like the, the cheering was so loud for bad things that happened to the commanders. It's embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. So the commanders unveiling their black uniforms down in Dallas for Dallas week. Are you excited to see those black uniforms? Is that true? Is that is are they this they're gonna wear black this weekend? Yeah, that, that is true. I didn't know if you saw it. I, I assume I you saw it before me. No, Dallas, no, I didn't. Black uniforms. They're unveiling the black uniforms. But what what really like gets me is the fact that the commanders have straight up worn white the first three games. And I thought there was some sort of rule, which I'm I could be a hundred percent wrong here, that you had to wear other than white when you were at home. But I guess that's not the case in the NFL. No, you always get to choose at home. I see. You always get to choose at home. I see. So 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 Detroit chose to wear blue, so we wore white. Yeah. And then we chose to have now. I am a little surprised they didn't unveil the burgundy uniforms maybe last time. Um, kind of makes you feel like maybe something's up with the burgundy. I, I don't know that, but I mean, it, it does feel odd that you have this yeah. brand new uniform and you've had the opportunity to use it and you haven't. Uh, I guess with the black, that makes sense. I had always been told that it was going to be used uh, for the military appreciation month. Yeah. But the service. Yeah, I, I saw that too. And... I saw they were unveiling it earlier, which I was like, so I don't know. But I mean, the three uniform combinations, though, I think that's very unique as an inaugural franchise in the Washington Commanders. I, I know you saw the uh, the name release, the uniforms come out. What, what did you think about the what did you think about the white uniforms? And what did you think about the other two, even though the players have not? came out and actually warned them yet well I've, I've always wanted a black uniform so i think that's slick uh and i think it's going to be cool uh with the black helmets and everything uh i always like the white ones even when nobody else did the burgundy ones are fine but i don't like all burgundy all burgundy was a bit much for me and i hope i kind of had been heard floating around that once the black uniforms are unveiled that they can start using the black pants whenever they feel like it. And I think that could lead to some slip combinations. I've seen some mock-ups like with the white top and the black pants. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I like them. I think they're they're fresh and new and uh, a little different. I, um, I like them. Absolutely. So the Eagles defeating the Commanders 24 to 8. Big Douglas of the Big Douglas Show here to break it down with us here on the Kirby on Sports Podcast. Doug, I got to ask you, though, any other big games you saw in week three that um, that sparked your attention? I know there are a lot of uh, pretty close games in this uh, in this week three. Uh, wh what else did you see that um, you sort of liked in week three? Uh, Bills, Miami. Uh, oh, that was, yeah. a, was a fantastic game, right? I mean – I think two is kind of what I thought he would be. I don't know how you were on him, but 
Um, you know, I, I thought he had a little bit of that winner in him. Uh, so I like that. And I'm like a closet Bills fan. You know what I mean? Like, I dig what they're doing up there. Uh, it's what Ron said they were trying to do here. They obviously hadn't got there. It just shows you how important a quarterback is. I mean, Allen is tremendous, and they, they're starting to put some weapons around. So I think it's a fun team to watch. I, I was surprised that the uh, Chiefs lost. It just goes to show you that anybody at any time, you know, can be a dog in this thing. And I was surprised that they left Herbert in that Chargers game so long. Like, that kid is beat up. He's the future of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, I was – I mean, you love to see uh, gutsy performances, as they say. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, I, that that surprised me. Uh, and the last one is, man, Lamar's the best player in the league. Yeah, I'm and, not sure why he's not getting paid yet. But I he wanted it all guaranteed. They didn't want to do it. And mm – -hmm. I it's going to be a mistake because the kid will play the kid will play on all the franchise tags. He doesn't care. He knows exactly what uh, Kirk Cousins got. Yeah. Why would he ever do less than that? He knows what Deshaun Watson got. Why would he mm -hmm. ever take less than that? Yeah. Uh, and he and he's bet on himself. And I love that. So that was another thing. Like every time I watch him play, and he can throw the rock this year. You know, better than I've ever seen him spin it. So I uh, was excited about that. Absolutely. Big Doug, Doug McRae of the Big Douglas Show. Doug, tell our listeners where they can find your wonderful show and how they can connect with you, my friend. And what, what's on tap? What's brewing for the Big Douglas Show? Let's see. Uh, I got the insider from the Cowboys radio station coming on uh, Thursday. Uh, no show tomorrow as it's my birthday. Hey, uh, dog. Happy birthday. Right, thank you. Uh, let's see. Sam Fortier of the Washington Post will be on Friday to get us caught up for the Dallas game. I'm hoping maybe Swag can come on and tell us a couple of Redskins Cowboys stories, but I haven't gotten that uh, solidified. But, yeah, it's the Big Douglas Show. We're, we're everywhere. You get your podcast. There's a Facebook site. They, uh, you can watch it on on Twitter, you can rewind and fast forward on Twitter, which is a new function, makes it watching on there a little easier. We're on YouTube, of course. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, usually, usually around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, sometime the show comes out. Uh, it's uh, my personal account is at, at Doug McCray underscore NFL, maybe. Um, I changed it a little bit back. There's a, so there's a separate show site, but yeah, man, we have fun doing it. And, uh, and, uh, Look forward to a better week this week than last week. If we can't beat the, the Cowboys with Cooper Rush, then, you know, I'm going to start talking about the draft. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big Doug, Doug McRae of the Big Douglas Show. A pleasure chopping it up with you, my friend. I hope we can do this again really soon. Kirby, absolutely. I appreciate you. Hey, sports fans. Thank you for listening to and supporting the Kirby on Sports podcast with founder and host Josh Kirby, along with lead contributor Dan Dembski. Like, subscribe, and give them a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast from. My name is Dr. Dave Miles, founder of Dr. Dave Leadership Corporation. Our company helps leaders build engaged and productive teams. Exclusively for listeners of the Kirby on Sports podcast, you can take an opportunity to discover your primary communication style and learn more about effective communication with others. 
Text Kirby to 757-903-0743 for your free copy of the Working From Home Communication Assessment where you'll learn your primary communication style, how to better communicate with others not like you, and tips on working remotely based on your personal communication style. 10 minutes, tons of resources, learn about yourself and your team. Again, text Kirby to 757-903-0743 for your free assessment report today. I'm Dr. Dave Miles, founder of Dr. Dave Leadership Corporation, where we help you and your team be more engaged and productive by understanding each other better. Back to you, Josh. A big thank you to the birthday boy, Douglas McRae of The Big Douglas Show. Welcome back. It's the Kirby on Sports podcast, and it is that time in the show for the solo edition with yours truly, the Hurry Up Offense brought to you each and every week by Barrett Pest and Termite Services. Contact them via phone at 540-662-5805 or visit their website www.barrettpest-termite.com. Ready? Break. Starting off Thursday night, the Browns defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers 29 to 17. Both quarterbacks played a decent. Uh, Trubisky with 207 yards, Brissett with 220 yards and two touchdowns. Najee Harris and Mitchell Trubisky both had rushing touchdowns for the Steelers, and Nick Chubb had a rushing touchdown. For the Browns and Amari Cooper and David and Joku both had receiving touchdowns for the Browns as this game was back and forth. But the Browns come away with a late touchdown off a Steelers attempt to try to lateral and find their way to the end zone for a victory. But the Browns are over the Steelers 29 to 17. The Indianapolis Colts shocked the Chiefs 20 to 17. It looked like before the game or sometime there was an argument between Patrick Mahomes and offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. Maybe tensions are tough. I'm not really sure, but I mean looking looking at this stat line it looked like Mahomes yeah Mahomes did decent, 262 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Um, Matt Ryan looked really well, spreading um, the football out to Jelani Woods, the tight end, for two touchdowns on the day. But the Chiefs' defense, five sacks put on Matt Ryan. This was a very close game, but I'm not really sure what happened to the Chiefs in this game. Not a game I watch very closely, but... Very interesting to see the Colts, Colts, excuse me, knock off the Chiefs in a close game like this. NFC East Division matchup: the Eagles take care of the Washington Commanders, twenty-four to eight, as the Commanders' offensive line did not help. Some injuries had to shift some people around. Carson Wentz took nine sacks, a total loss of 58 yards. All around a great game for Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles offensively, 22 for 35, 340 yards and three touchdowns. Devontae Smith went off 169 yards and a touchdown, and A.J. Brown 
five receptions, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Goddard also had a touchdown for the Eagles as well, as they looked well on offense and defense all phases of the game. Washington has a lot of work to do before their NFC East matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. The Ravens offensively, Lamar Jackson looking like an MVP caliber quarterback, and it's only week three. But Baltimore on defense, still pretty shaky with those injuries. Recently just signed Jason Pierre-Paul to the Baltimore Ravens to try to help out with that. Mac Jones throwing three interceptions uh, for the Patriots and uh, coming out of the game with some sort of injury towards the end of the game. Reports are stating a high ankle sprain, so we'll have to see how that um, handles. But still, Ravens defense, shaky, but still managed to get three interceptions. Lamar throwing 218 yards and four touchdowns, only one interception, and 107 yards rushing with a touchdown as well. Justice Hill for the Ravens, six carries, 60 yards. In J.K. Dobbins, seven carries, 23 yards. So Lamar balls out every single game. The Ravens over the Patriots, 37 to 26. The Panthers with a much needed win over the Saints, 22 to 14. Baker Mayfield, 12 for 25, 170 yards and a touchdown. Jameis Winston, 353 yards and two interceptions. The running game did not seem to be a big impact for the Saints, only 84 combined rushing yards. But Chris Olave for the Saints managed 147 receiving yards. And right behind that, Trey Quan Smith with 105. Christian McCaffrey um, manages 108 yards on 25 carries. And LaVisca Chenault, two receptions, 90 yards, and a touchdown as well. LaVisca Chenault balled out in this game. A 22-14 Panthers win over the New Orleans Saints. The Bears in a close one against the Houston Texans, 23-20. to Davis Mills, 20 for 32, 245 yards with a touchdown and two interceptions. Justin Fields does not look the best with two interceptions in this game. But Khalil Herbert, former Virginia Tech Hokie, 20 carries, 157 yards, and two touchdowns in the air as well. D Damian Pierce, for the Texans, 80 yards and a touchdown for the Texans and Jordan Aikens with a receiving touchdown as well. Pretty close game. The Bears over the Texans, 23 to 20. The Vikings sneak away with the victory over the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions definitely have a team changed culture. Uh, they look more physical. They were leading most of this game, but um, a late Kirk Cousins touchdown throw to KJ Osborne. Um, Adam Thielen also had a touchdown in this game, but KJ Osborne sealed the deal with a wide open touchdown pass. But for the most part, Jared Goff looked decent, a touchdown and an interception. You got Jamal Williams with two touchdowns on the ground and um, also TJ Hawkinson with a receiving touchdown. 
at the tight end position, but a uh, key division battle. The Vikings defeat the Lions, dropping them to one and two, 28 to 24. The Bengals over the Jets, 27 to 12. The Titans edge the Raiders. 24 to 22, and the Raiders are the first, uh, the only winless team in the NFL. Derek Carr, 303 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And Josh Jacobs, 66 yards rushing. You got Mac Hollins for the Raiders, eight receptions, 158 yards, and a touchdown. Devontae Adams also recording a receiving touchdown as well. Derrick Henry, 85 yards in a touchdown for the Titans. And Jeff Swain, haven't heard that name in a while, receives a touchdown as well. Tannehill did had a uh did have a fumble uh, and Kevin Byard had an interception for the Titans as well. As the Titans edge the Raiders, the Raiders, the only winless team at 0 and 3, 24 to 22. Justin Herbert beat up but managed to play in this game as the Jaguars defeat the Chargers 38 to 10. Trevor Lawrence 262 yards, three touchdowns and James Robinson 100 yards and a touchdown. Herbert just under 300 yards with a touchdown and an interception, but he looked he did not look like a normal Justin Herbert and the run game could not get going for this Chargers team as well. The Jags 38, the Chargers 10. Close game in the late slate. The Packers defeat the Buccaneers 14 to 12. Bucks have some injuries. The Packers, you know, sort of trying to find their groove, um, held off the Buccaneers after a two point try fails for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and uh, to try to tie the game. In the Buccan, excuse me, the Packers rather win this game 14 to 12 it, it, it i mean the quarterbacks did decent running game not so much for net only 35 yards for the bucks and aaron jones uh for the packers 36 yards along with aj dillon 32 yards so 67 to 30 yard thir- excuse me 67 to 34 on the ground game but again i think both teams are um dealing with yeah, you know, that slow start. I know the Buccaneers have a lot of injuries they're trying to overcome here. So I had to bring in some new receivers. Just signed Cole Beasley, by the way, former Bill. But um, this was a, you know, n- not a lot to touch on here, but a close game to the end, 14 to 12. The Packers defeat the Buccaneers. The Rams over the Cardinals, 20 to 12 as the Rams take care of business. The Cardinals, um, Kyler Murray comes out with 314 passing yards, but no touchdowns to show for it. And you got Marquise Brown, 14 receptions, 140 yards, big chunk yards. But the Rams, Matthew Stafford, 249 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But Cam Akers and Cooper Cup both get rushing touchdowns as they defeat the Cardinals 20-12. to A close one in Seattle as the Falcons defeat the Seahawks 27-23. to The Seahawks were leading most of this game, but a late lead by the Atlanta Falcons as they take the victory 27-23. to 
Not a lot to talk about in Sunday night football. The Broncos defeat the 49ers 11 to 10. Jimmy Garoppolo was in this game and managed to do a Dan Orlovsky, a four or five step drop and steps out of the back of the end zone. Um, a lot, this game, I'm just scratching my head over how it was this bad, but it was that bad. I, I, I don't understand, but the Broncos, Russell Wilson, 184 yards, but no touchdowns, no interception. A, a lot of people are asking now why Russell Wilson got paid so much. That's a question we might be discussing on a future episode. Jimmy G, 18 for 29, 211 yards and a touchdown and an interception. So, yeah, I don't know. A lot of confusion out of this game is what I can take away from this game. Last but not least, NFC East Division, the Cowboys defeating the New York Giants with Cooper Rush leading the way. This was more of a defensive battle as um, Trayvon Diggs made a couple big plays for the Cowboys. Uh, Cooper Rush only throwing for one touchdown. Daniel Jones only one interception. Low offensive production, big defensive production. There was a slight scuffle disagreement after the game. But the Cowboys 23 and the Giants 16 in an NFC East divisional battle. Once again, that has been the Hurry Up Offense brought to you each and every week by Barrett Pest and Termite Services. Contact them today at 540-662-5805 or their website, www.barrettpest-termite.com. We'll wrap things up right after this. You're listening to the Kirby on Sports Podcast. Hey there, this is Mark Francis of Icon Real Estate. If you have any real estate needs in the Winchester surrounding area, including West Virginia, give me a call. I've got extensive experience. Been in the business for almost 20 years and would love to help you out. Track me down at Icon Real Estate, iconsells.com, or even give me a call, 540-247-1527. Again, Icon Sells, I-C-O-N-S-E-L-L-S.com, and I would love to chat with you and help you out. Give me a call. All right, once again, the Kirby on Sports podcast, wrapping things up here once again, a big thanks to our sponsors, PM Plus Reserve, Shenandoah Primitives, Dr. Dave Leadership Corporation, and Mark Francis with Icon Real Estate, along with Barrett Pest and Termite Services. As always, Barrett Pest and Termite Services will be sponsoring the Hurry Up Offense each and every week right here on the Kirby on Sports podcast. A huge thanks to the birth, the birthday boy, Douglas McRae of the Big Douglas Show, as he was on earlier in the show. Big thanks to him and his time as well. That does it for me. Episode 161 of the Kirby on Sports podcast. As always, a huge thanks to each and every one of our supporters and Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for all the support. This NFL season has just begun. There's a lot more to cover as we move forward. Until the next time you hear us or see us, you can check us out on all streaming platforms, all social media platforms, www.kirbyonsports.com. 
Until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, always remember to create greatness. And we say so long and peace out.